2: They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD Plus. Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk free for up to a hundred days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave 15 Qualia NAD plus. It's what
1: I use. Hey everyone, it's Dave Astri with Bulletproof Radio. Today's cool fact of the day is that scientists are able to convert human skin cells into the same kind of brain cells that help you to control your body movement. And in the studies, these cells not only survived when they were implanted into mice, but they were functional in the mice brains just like other brain cells which is kinda cool because we may be able to scrape something from your skin and then give you a movement upgrade, which would be kinda cool and relatively safe compared to using someone else's stem cells or some stem cells that were grown in a vat somewhere in China. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take
2: more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io Dave for a seven-day free trial.
1: Today's guest on the show is my buddy Jonathan Baylor. Jonathan is a New York Times bestselling author and a USA Today bestselling author. Uh, Jonathan, high five for those.
3: <laughs> Thanks, Dave.
1: Uh, I know how hard that is because uh, I've joined you on both those lists, and man, it's an achievement to reach that number of people. And your book is is The Calorie Myth, which is uh, a book that I, I've endorsed. Listeners have heard me talking about it before. Uh, if you haven't heard um, past conversations with Jonathan, uh, he's the founder of sanesolution.com. He's talked with about 1,300 or talk, talked with hundreds of scientists, but looked at 1,300 studies over a decade to look at. Why calories aren't the end all, be all for weight loss, or many other things. Like they're a flawed way to look at food, and he and I are in full alignment on that. So I hope this isn't too much of a love fest on, on the podcast, <laughs> but I, I may have to give him a virtual hug. And uh, um, I just want some we'll, of your skin cells, Dave. Uh, maybe we could do like a swap. Want a skin <laughs> cell. the New York Times best selling skin cell bank. I'm sure there's enough <laughs> for four people on Earth for that. <laughs> <laughs> so but what's cool is that you you've looked at the studies and then you've had some top doctors and scientists from like Harvard and Johns Hopkins and the Mayo Clinic and Cleveland Clinic uh, endorse your work. And as a writer, like it, it feels good when you you hear news that that you know, a real a, quote real doctor has said do this. Um, I I heard just yesterday, someone posted like my cardiologist gave me a copy of your book instead of a prescription. So I just went to your page and, (laughs) and uh, I don't know even which cardiologist that was, but when I see that kind of stuff, it, it makes me feel like, uh, you know, the hard work that goes into creating a book, like the one that you just, uh, you just did, um, the calorie myth that it's worth it.
3: Oh, absolutely, man. Well, and I, I my hat's off to you because this this work is so important. A funny story, like the one you just mentioned, one of the areas we're really trying to help with now is is families. because as you know, I mean, the childhood obesity epidemic is just heartbreaking, childhood diabetes, and uh, recently got uh, an email with a PowerPoint presentation attached to it. And it was from a fifteen year old girl who had given a book report. On the calorie myth to her health class. <laughs> and I was just like, Oh my goodness, this is, this is amazing. So I just want to give kudos to you and kudos to your listeners for being part of the solution here, man. Cause we're doing, we're all doing some important work.
1: Now, talking about important work. The other reason that I always have fun chatting with you is that at Microsoft, you were part of the Nike Plus Connect training Xbox Fitness, like like the whole biohacking, using technology to see what your body's doing and then playing it back to you, um, similar to the stuff that I did with Basis and all. So it's interesting we both are techies who sort of came into this from hacking human biology perspective. And what I wanted to chat with you about today was how you built a process and a system around the research that you've done. So you, you already know what you know about the limitations of using calories as a way to sort of you know, view everything that happens in your body. Um, but knowing that, seeing 1,300 studies and then putting it into something that's usable, how did you go about that process of making your same solutions um, methodology?
3: Well, we're still we're still going through it because it is a it is a Herculean task. But mm-hmm. the the fundamental shift, I think, what has made it easier is having a a very clear what some people call a commander's intent, which is just like the overarching rule. The the example of this I've heard a lot was from the um, I'm blanking on it right now, but the CEO of Southwest Airlines is that Herb Kelleher that sounds right okay so let's say herb keller so he was like you know southwestern <laughs> Air- hubbard wait isn't, isn't- <laughs> wait leonardo <laughs> dicaprio wait no he played the <laughs> aviator dead <laughs> all right so he um southwest airlines is most people don't realize this but if you invested, if you if you ask someone of the companies that existed in i think the 1970s or 1980s and you invested a hundred dollars in them which company would have returned the most today and it's actually Southwest Airlines. Because remember, a lot of the big companies that exist today didn't even exist in the 70s and 80s. So anyway, um, when they were asking Herb Kelleher what his one of his tips were, from day one, he was like, we will be the low-cost airline. We will be the low-cost airline. So his, his team would bring him ideas. Hey, can we serve chicken salad on our planes? He said, would that help us be a lower-cost airline? If the answer is no, then the decision is made. So when we talk about eating sanely... And we talk about creating this new system that makes these 1,300 studies usable. We say, look, at the end of the day, you have a choice to make because you can only focus on one thing. You can only have one top priority. It's either quantity or it's quality. Some, one of them has to hold the top spot. And we believe the top spot should be quality. And that applies to many things other than food. So when you say quality holds the top spot, well, then, for example... Using a, a scale to measure weight, that doesn't work because that's a quantity measure. And using calories to evaluate food, that doesn't work either because that's a quantity measure. So we have to come up with alternatives that have a basis in quality and qualitative measure. And man, that's a it's a fun engineering problem. So I'm glad I'm able to combine the biology with the technology once again.
1: Well, it, it's a little bit harder for the average person to to understand that quality metric, because let's face it, if you ask the average guy on the street who's not into biohacking, not into eating to look good or feel good or or whatever their their nutritional uh, practices are, they're going to tell you, well, it's about taste. I I want pizza because it tastes good. I want whatever tastes. Good. I want ice cream, and I want French fries, and I'm craving. It. And they, the whole idea that food cravings are different than hunger is also not well understood by people because most people have cravings all the time. But okay, how do you teach someone to know the difference between quality food and tasty food? Because neither of those is quantity.
3: Yeah, it's it's a challenge, and I think the only way I've found. And this has been a tough journey for me because I'm, I'm Mr. Science. I'm, I'm sometimes a little too computer like in my thinking. But sometimes, you know, all the science in the world isn't going to convince someone of something they believe emotionally. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. I think, I think it was, um, Melissa Hartwig over at Whole30, who I was interviewing her once, and she, we were talking about something. She said, Jonathan, that's a great logical explanation to an emotional problem. And I was like, wow, man, that is a great way to describe this. So anyway, by way of analogy, by way of emotional appeal, if we think of our relationship with food like we would think of our relationship with another person, I think that's an interesting model. Because like we think of quality time with someone and we think of having a a healthy relationship with a person. When you think about food, I mean, we need to look at the quality of our relationship with food. I don't want to be crude, but I mean, you don't just want to put anything into your body. You know, you don't want to have just any, expose yourself to anything from a people perspective, from a food perspective. So, you know, just like you're going to be discerning in the quality of music you listen to and the quality of the people you associate with, doesn't it make sense to be discerning with the quality of food you're putting into your body? I mean, that's an intimate action. I say you,
1: you don't want to be in an abusive relationship with food.
3: Um. <laughs> you know, you don't want to be in an abusive relationship and you, you want to understand that you, you deserve better. You know, I mean, like another mental action is how would you I'm sure you see this a lot, Dave, where people say, what should I do with my kids or is this safe for my children? Whereas like we have this concept that like what we put into kids bodies is that matters or what we eat when not like when we're pregnant, that matters. Look, what we eat, what we put into any human being's body at any point in time matters. Right. And, and I think when we understand that, like we already understand it impacts children. It impacts pre-children in utero. It impacts you just as much now. And once you understand that and you feel the difference like you have and all your, your fans have, man, there's never any going back.
1: Yeah, it, it's getting people to feel that one day where like, oh, like this is how it's supposed to be every day that that at least sparks the fire but then you find people go, all right, I'm going to eat a high-quality meal. So then they go to <laughs> – um, this seems like like the state of the art now. They go to a, a raw vegan restaurant. And, <laughs> people who don't know it, I, I was a raw vegan for quite a while. Uh, and you feel really good when you first do it, and there's reasons for that. And then it starts to create systemic weaknesses and sometimes autoimmunity and other problems. But you go to one of these places, and you're going to get a plate with artfully arranged – vegetables that contain about zero calories or less than 100 or something. So it looks all pretty. It's probably got some some nutritional yeast in there because it provides an MSG-like experience, which includes making you hungry. (laughs) So then you're gonna walk out of there going, oh my god, I want ice cream. Uh, You know, I, I want something sugary. Because your body's like, you gave me a bunch of stuff and I don't even have enough energy to digest it. And then you're supposed to wear like a medal, like a a red badge of courage because, you know, I ate a healthy, but you actually made yourself weak. But you believe because you've been taught this that you just ate a high quality and it was $19 for that little piece of marinated asparagus or whatever. Um, How do you show people this is – not high quality it might have been clean it might have been really good but if you want a high quality meal made out of that stuff you better back up the truck because you're gonna have to eat a bowl to just get enough calories in to fuel yourself a bowl this big and it's gonna take you two
3: hours to eat it because you have to chew it how do you teach that it's backing up the truck is the first step dave because we have to first (laughs) agree on like we said what is high quality we can go around all day i mean if if you know, someone is just listening casually to this conversation. They're not really tuned in. They're like, okay, so your takeaway is eat healthy. You got it. You know, so, (laughs) you know, we have to define what is healthy eating, what is high quality food. And that is, I guess, thing that I'm most proud of with the looking at all that research is what we tried to do is distill it down. People, my brand is SANE, but SANE is actually an acronym for what you could call the the golden nugget from all that research, which are the things that you actually need to look at to determine the quality of food you're putting in your body and that the S stands for satiety, or how quickly a food fills you up and how long it keeps you full. The A is aggression, so what the hormonal response is in your body. The N is nutrition or nutrient quality, so the ratio of good stuff to bad stuff. And then the E is efficiency, or how easily your body can use this as energy or store it as fat. And if you can get people to buy into, and this is hard because it's a little academic and we're still trying to figure out how to best communicate it, is look, healthy means 10 different things to 10 different people and it's been so bastardized by society that we kinda need to throw that out and start over, so we're gonna say, we're not gonna use the word healthy anymore, we're gonna use the word sane. Because sane is a scientifically proven framework that evaluates food and anything you can put into your body on an established scale. So we can't really disagree because the scale is clear. And once you do that, you just stack stuff on a sane spectrum and you say, look, is it sane? Is it insane? Much like your bulletproof diet spectrum. And you say the saner it is, the more of it you eat, the healthier you will be. And the more insane it is, the more of it you eat, the sicker you will be. So people already get that they need to eat healthy. They understand that conceptually, but that's so confusing that people say, forget it. I'm just gonna eat less food because that (laughs) at least makes sense to me intuitively. So what we need is that clear framework about, look, we're talking about nutrition, we're not talking about morality, we're not talking about sustainability. There's nothing wrong with talking about those things, but those are different conversations. From a nutrition perspective, we know what's essential for human life. We know what foods provide the most of what's essential and the least of what's non-essential or toxic, so why not just flood our body with more of that stuff?
1: That isn't rocket science when you put it that way. Uh, just to, to say, look, eat more of the stuff that makes you strong and less of the stuff that makes you weak. And, and your SANE framework is, is a good one. And it, it, it has a, some of the common thinking that I think comes out of tech, uh, even for the network engineers out there, that is the OSI model. <laughs> <laughs> which is the way we look at networks. And there's all these different layers, like the, the communication we're having right now. You know, there's the way that the electrons flow on a copper wire, if there even is copper, the way that we look at, at light inside fiber optics, and then the way they talk to the level above it and the level above it. It's all invisible to us, but there's a way of thinking that tech people adopt because we have to work on systems where you don't know what happened five layers down. And, and I see the flavor of that in the way you've looked at saying, like, look, here's the order of operations. Uh, insane, right? You're looking at the S first. Do I have that right? Like in in terms of of like, you wouldn't look at the E before you look at the S or is every one of those variables equally weighted?
3: So, right. Yeah. Every one of those variables is equally weighted. So, but, but it's, um, but they, yeah, they all need to be considered in unison because that's, that's another problem we face with the, with the nutrition community is something might be very unaggressive, So like, yeah, you know, what's uh, salmolino salmolino wheat or however you pronounce it, pasta. Yeah, Yeah, you know, it has a very low glycemic load and it has a small hormonal response. Well, okay, but what about its satiety? What about its nutritional value? What about its efficiency? So they're all equally weighted, I would say. And then what you do need to, though, look at uh, from a ordering perspective. And this is one of the things we're most excited about is we're actually uh, getting a patent on a, let's call it Calories 2.0, or let's call it a Sane Score. So we are looking to try to develop one single measure that evaluates the quality of a food. So someday, instead of just seeing a calorie count on a label, ideally you'd see a calorie count and a Sane Score, which is just a red to green indicator. And uh, that that algorithm is is actually pretty interesting.
1: Uh, I'm I'm eager to see the results of that work because you know there's this other guy in the neighborhood named Andy aggregate nutrient
3: density index Uh, um tell me what you think about andy (laughs) well so andy (laughs) andy and existing things like andy because there's a couple things like it they they uh inappropriately penalize food for providing you with energy (laughs) exactly they tell you to eat foods that don't have any energy in them right and that's that that gets us back to the calorie myth right A calorie is an essential nutrient. I mean, like sometimes people call water an essential nutrient, which isn't technically true, but the people who are listening to this are smart enough to understand what we're we're meaning to communicate. If you don't eat calories, you die. Therefore, calories are essential. So a calorie (laughs) isn't a bad thing. It's not a thing to be avoided any more than water is a bad thing or a thing to be avoided. So saying that something has a low Andy score because it provides you with more of an essential nutrient really doesn't make much sense.
1: It, it's really weird to me because the, the perfect Andy food would be a glass of water and a multivitamin. <laughs> right? and, and that's all you can eat if you want to maximize your Andy score. And of course, you will die if you do that. Um, but lo- logically, it just makes no sense. But it is a hell of a way to sell kale for $6 a pound, especially if it was picked by fairies. <laughs> and I mean like my kids have a fairy forest in the backyard and I'm sure fairies pick their vegetables too, right? But like you can make up mythical creatures and you can you can sell more vegetables for more than the cost of eggs, which have far more nutrition in them than a vegetable is going to. Vegetables might have different antioxidants and things like that. They're not substantially equivalent. But when I, I hear people coming in on Facebook and they're like, Dave – I'm working to eat a better diet that makes me feel better, but I'm on a budget. And if they fall for you know, the Andy, honestly, it, it, I don't think it's intended to be a scam, but it, it's just the Andy application or misapplication of, of scientific principles based on a flawed assumption, they're going to spend their money on things that don't leave them full, leave them craving, suck up their willpower, and they're going to sort of wonder why at the end of the day they're dizzy and tired and they don't feel good and they yell at their kids. And, like, it's not okay. I'm tired of, of grocery stores using Andy to try and sell vegetables for more than meat and more than eggs and more than butter and more than the foods that provide us calories and essential fats.
3: And it's just – an inc- it's, it's unfortunate because – It's you're right. It's it's like calories. It's an incomplete measure. So it's not that the Andy score doesn't provide any useful data. In fact, from a sane perspective, it's the N. So of the four factors that we look at, you could argue that one of them is Andy, but that's one of four factors. That's it. Right. You have to look at more than that. So there's this there's this oversimplification that takes place, which you know, is it is it simple to say that the sum of any two numbers is 42? Yeah, it's really simple, but it's wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. So simplicity can't be the the only metric. And that underlies the, the penchant toward calorie co- uh, counting. It underlies the penchant towards the, the Andy score. And I think that's something we need to fix. Uh,
1: it's uh, it's something that we can fix. And part of it is is what you've done in your book, which is taking apart the calorie myth and saying they're they're just not bad. And a calorie that is filled with lead and cyanide is probably not a calorie you should eat. Um, <laughs> a calorie of high uh, fructose corn syrup has a different metabolic effect than a calorie of, of corn oil, than a calorie of candle wax, which you can't even metabolize. But it's still a calorie. So... It, it's a meaningless word it, it, in, in any like thinking biochemical nutritionist way, uh, calories are not a very useful thing to do except to figure out energy, which is a small function of food and energy is not a bad thing in my world. In fact, when I travel, when I stay up late, when I'm getting less sleep, this is a shocking thing. I actually burn more calories and I eat more so that I can sustain that energy. Like, like who, who would have thought, right?
3: Absolutely, man. Well, and, and I think a great distinction, and I've seen this resonate with people of all walks of life, is you know, neither you nor I are saying that calories don't exist or that they don't matter. In fact, we're actually saying that they're critical and they're essential for health. But a calorie is a measure, it's a unit of energy, right? So, to anyone out there who's like, oh, Kev, calories, a calorie. So, first of all, like from a kindergarten logic perspective, <laughs> you're correct. And you're correct in the same sense that the following statement is true. I have two 8-ounce glasses in front of me. One of them contains 8 ounces of gasoline. The other contains 8 ounces of purified water. 8 ounces is 8 ounces in a kindergarten logic sense. But would you drink both of those glasses? No, right? (laughs) You know, I have two rooms in my house. They're both the same square footage. One is full of oxygen. The other is full of carbon monoxide would you tuck your child into bed in both of them? I mean, it's the same quantity of gas. Yeah, it,
1: it just doesn't pass the, the sniff test when you look at it from that perspective. And on the flip side, I see there's like a, a group of relatively angry trolls online <laughs> who love to walk around going, here's a study that says it's all about caloric balance and you just need to, to burn more calories and you need to work out more. And, and they're actually right in that if you put someone in a calorie chamber where you're looking at every bit of, of food or other energy they take in, where the calories go, including the breath gas that comes out, the CO2 you're breathing out, uh, the temperature, all that stuff, there is a caloric balance in the body, which is why this is one of those things that just won't die, even though it should online why, when you dig into this, because you've talked with a lot of the, the same sort of experts, the same sort of science I'm familiar with, but I, I want to hear your answer on this because it may be different. <laughs> why, when someone says that stuff, why is it actually true? And, and how does everything else you say follow on? Because it, it's almost like they're they're showing a point that says, well, calories do count. In fact, they're all that counts when you seal the system off.
3: So by way of analogy, someone let's say I'm a football coach let's say I'm the coach of the Seattle Seahawks because I live here in in Seattle and let's say that the Seahawks lost and I have a press conference afterwards and they say Jonathan coach the Seattle Seahawks we brought you in we replaced the existing coach who's doing so well because we expected that you would do a good job for us and and your team lost why did you lose and I look down and I say guys the other team scored more points than we did (laughs) That's why we lost. I would be accurate. What I said is true. We lost because we scored too few points and the other team scored too many. But what people are actually asking is why did that happen and what can we do about it in the future, right? So if you go to a psychologist, just to overwhelm the analogies, if you go to a psychologist and say, I'm having problems, I'm really sad. You know, I just had a crisis happen in my life and I'm depressed. And the psychologist said, well, you know what? I've noticed that people who aren't depressed seem to smile more and frown less than you do. <laughs> so the problem is, I think you should just smile more and frown less. And it's true, right? People that are happier probably do smile more and frown less. But what you're really asking is like, why is that so hard for me to do? What underlying is going on? What's What's going on in my mind? What's going on with my football team that's causing this? And, and to just say that, yeah, so in both cases, the statement is true, but it's incomplete and useless. So will you be happier if you frown less and smile more? Probably. No one's really debating that. What they're debating is how should you live your life that causes you to frown less and smile more? Does that make sense?
1: It makes a huge amount of sense to me. We want to understand the hormonal impact of the foods and... Now, the the corollary argument that that the trolls will make is, okay, so let's just concede what you just said, which, by the way, I don't agree with Uh, (laughs) because you're a bad man. They usually say that, too, or some variation of that. Uh, And then what they're going to say, though, is if a high-fat diet works, it only works because it makes you eat less. Like ketosis doesn't do anything. It just makes you eat less. How do you respond to that?
3: The same people who make these troll arguments are usually people who are really into their physiques. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Have you noticed? Yeah. So, so, and I came from that world, right? So I used to be, I have pictures of me at some of the first Arnold bodybuilding expos that ever took place in, in, back in Columbus, Ohio with Jay Cutler, with Ronnie Coleman, with all. So I understand that, that industry, right? So to those same people, I would say, okay. Let's say you change nothing about your macros, which they love talking about. Macros, which is short for macronutrient. And you start taking steroids. Will your body change? (laughs) Okay. You've changed nothing about your caloric balance and you've changed nothing about your macros. But if you start injecting your body with steroids, will your body change? True or false? Or yes or no? Yes, it will change. Okay. So therefore, by definition, because negative knowledge is really powerful, we've just proven definitively that there is something other than a macronutrient or a calorie that can influence your body. So they then have to concede that point. You and I aren't arguing that macros and cal we aren't saying macros and calories don't matter. So our position is super easy to defend, both from a scientific and from a common sense perspective. We're saying it's an incomplete picture. But someone who says that calories are all that matter or macros are all that matter, I mean, that good luck defending that position because the same people who take that position are the first to tell you how effective steroids are and chances are half of them are on steroids and have experienced what that's like and that isn't affecting their calories or their macros.
1: Yeah, there's this metric and I I look a lot at at farming and ranching because we're allowed to do things to those animals um, that we don't do to people except maybe in prison, which still isn't very ethical. (laughs) And farmers look at results because they go out of business when they don't. And there's this metric that I love. It's called feed efficiency. And it's how many pounds will an animal gain on X amount of feed? And funny enough, they can add an antibiotic, and they can get a 30% – actually, sorry, that's not an antibiotic. That's a, a, a mold-derived xenoestrogen, <laughs> essentially a hormone. But it's one – it's derived from xeralinone, which it commonly grows on some kinds of feed, and it also does the same thing to us. It's about 1,000 times more potent than normal estrogen our bodies make. And, well, when they get this stuff – They concentrate it, they put it into a little waxy pellet, they stick it into the cow's ear and then it melts into their their bloodstream basically uh, through the blood vessels in the ear. And when they do that, they get a 30% increase in feed efficiency. That means they feed them a third less and they still get fat. And if that is possible and you believe this calories in, calories out stuff, that means that the cows stood still a lot so that they burned less energy so they could get fatter, but they're not doing that. So what happened? Well, what happened was something that wasn't a calorie affected the fat deposition in the muscles and around the organs of the animals, and that's just how it is, and, and to see that study and then say calories and calories out, at that point, we can say calories and calories out might be a good heuristic, just like, you know, the Newtonian picture of the universe is pretty good, except, well, quantum might be more accurate. It's just harder to think in that, so we can imagine gravity in it, so it's a good model, but it unfortunately breaks down where the rubber hits the road, so... That said, these debates, there must be like 10 trillion words of flaming back and forth about this topic. And I'm to the point where we can have the conversation you and I just had, maybe we should just take this clip, extract it, put it on YouTube, and just like always post it whenever someone does this. Because clearly, in a calorie chamber, you can induce famine and you can induce weight loss. And of course those people gain the weight back more quickly and they tend to go crazy as Gary Taubes wrote about, And Gary was just, I just interviewed him right before I interviewed you uh, like a couple days ago I talked to him. Uh, Gary Taubes wrote Good Calories, Bad Calories for people who uh, don't remember his name. And it, so we, just, we know this stuff. It's established. And for, for someone to, you know, I, maybe I'm angry because I'm on too many steroids. Uh, so I'm going <laughs> to come back and spend yet another 10 hours on Facebook telling people calories all that count. I, I'm kind of done with that. And there's so much written about it and thinking people have, have come to that conclusion. You've come to that conclusion. And that said, have you ever actually cut your calories on purpose to lose a little bit of weight?
3: The closest I came, so I did, well, I did, I've done two things. They didn't, one was cutting, the other one was adding. So I did intentionally over-consume the heck out of calories <laughs> trying to get bigger, and I couldn't. So, I mean, I think that's the biggest, yeah. that's, the, that's the easiest test. You know, look at naturally thin people and just overfeed them thousands and thousands of calories and watch as they don't gain weight. And then, and then yeah, I mean, the argument is, okay, and in fact, we talk about this in the calorie myth book. Okay, well, that causes an increased calorie burn. So yeah, it's not that the calories in, calories out equation is like a leprechaun riding a unicorn. It it has some validity to it. It's part of the equation. It's part of the equation. It's not the entire equation, right? So back to your question, when I was doing some of the intense research for the book that preceded the calorie myth, The Smarter Science of Slim, one of the things I love to do was to drink a whole bunch of green tea or coffee, so a whole bunch of caffeine, and then walk on a treadmill on an incline for like three hours at a time while I was reading research studies, because otherwise I'd fall asleep, because they're not the most interesting things in the world to read. (laughs) So, And I was was counting my calories out on those days, and by doing that walking, I was increasing my calorie burn between 15 and 2,000 calories per day and I didn't intentionally change my diet in any way, but I radically increased calories out. Uh, My weight changed in no way, shape, or form. And then my overfeeding in my early years when I was doing double shots of olive oil, trying to consume 6,000 calories per day, I was unable to change my weight reliably in that case either. The only time I've seen meaningful body composition changes, and I say body composition changes, not body weight changes, is when I change the quality of my eating. So I increase the sanity, what I would call the sanity of my diet. For example, like nowadays, I actually just finished eating an early lunch and that lunch consisted of a meatloaf made of beef heart and beef liver and a green smoothie made of kale, Swiss chard, arugula, some macadamia nuts, and an avocado. I mean, talk about a freaking sane, high-quality meal. That's a sane, high-quality meal. And my mind and my body have changed dramatically, but interestingly enough, my weight hasn't really changed.
1: Looking at, at your mind changing, given that your mind is using about a quarter of your calories, depending on how much you use your mind and how much you use your body, uh, this whole food affects the mind thing it is a big part of, of actually several chapters of my book. It, it's around willpower. And, and it's like... If you don't have enough energy to fuel your brain, then you'll have less energy for thinking. Do you buy that line of reasoning? There are people who don't, but.
3: One of the, one of the most compelling studies I've seen, and because, well, uh, honestly, it's due to a, a lack of studies, but starvation studies on humans, there's not a lot because it's inhuman to starve someone unless you pay no, it, them it, and call them a personal trainer. It's okay for models. But, yeah. Exactly. And it's okay <laughs> if it's on national television or, if, you know, that kind of thing. But in the Minnesota Starvation Experiment conducted by everyone's favorite doctor Ansel Keys, I mean, he did do some good stuff. The Minnesota Starvation Experiment was one of them. If you look at the rates of depression and psychosis that eating—wait for it—1,600 calories per day induced in males conscientious objectors, it's again, it's it's pretty much irrefutable to say that starving the body is not going to have. I mean. Do we do we really need to have a conversation about what if you put less fuel in your car's gas tank that your car is going to be able to run less long or for a shorter period of time? It's pretty common sense.
1: It it seems pretty common sense. It's funny you mentioned the conscientious objectors. Um, I'm filming a documentary that's going to come out in a couple months. It's called Moldy. And it's, it's about environmental toxic mold and what it does to your biology and how it's affecting 100 million people. They don't know it. Like, this is stuff that grows in the wall of your house because we mess with our soil and it's messing with us back. So I hired a, a film team. And it turns out that the guy who's doing the soundtrack and the audio on it is Eric Troyer, who's uh, – uh, the lead keyboardist and uh, singer for Electric Light Orchestra, which is a substantial band. And so I, I've had a chance to hang out with him, and he's like sung back up on half the songs you and I have ever known. Uh, really just a cool guy, and, and we've become friends. But he was a conscientious objector, and he actually – was one of those guys. I don't know if they did the radical calorie restriction with him, but he has stories about, oh, yeah, that, like, we could only eat exactly what they gave us in little boxes, and we had to collect all of our pee and all of our poop for weeks on end. He's like, yeah, I got used to that stuff. Like, I, you know, <laughs> I'm like, that's hardcore, but that is the kind of stuff that they were doing to conscientious objectors back then. And he's like, it's better to do this than, you know, to go off and fight something I don't believe in. Mm-hmm. But to hear the actual, like, rubber-hits-the-road stories from Eric, real science was done there even though it was really uncomfortable for the people who did it because they didn't miss anything at least anything they could they could measure they didn't have mass spectrometers and whatnot back then
3: and dave i think sometimes like you know people can debate all they want on the internet like that's wonderful and i'm not sure how much that's helping to end the obesity epidemic but if that's how people like to spend their time it
1: it actually burns like seven calories in 10 minutes (laughs) of of trolling
3: it's true (laughs) but um you know, there's there's a couple different parts of your brain, right? And as as you well know, and to anyone who who claims to believe that it's just about the quantity of calories you're consuming, I'd be very interested to know what they feed their children, or what they feed their pregnant wives.
1: Just granola bars, nothing
3: else. You know, I mean, that's because if it's just about calories, then technically, you know, the the guidance we give to pregnant women about what they should be eating is moot. I mean, right. They just need to eat calories. So that doesn't really matter. And, and what you feed your kids growing up. I mean, why not? I mean, if they, if they just need 2000 calories, why don't we just give them 2000 calories of ding dongs? It's super convenient, man. And then you won't have to cook at all.
1: Yeah, and, and they behave really well. I'm, in fact, I feed my kids just M&Ms, nothing else, because there's a variety of colors, and colors are for <laughs> It's good variety. <laughs> you know, it, It's calories are calories. And so looking at it, if you have – for people who have kids, you, it's the best experiment ever. Like if you think food quality doesn't matter, like watch your kids go absolutely bonkers from eating poor quality food. They – their brains cannot focus and kids want to be helpful. They just aren't able to pull it off sometimes because they just can't bring it or they don't have the training. But the difference in the quality of my life when my kids eat quality food is worth it just for reducing whining.
3: (laughs) Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So I think that's, you know, I'm with you. I haven't, I mean, there's been over the past year, there's been quite a few quote unquote episodes where there have been like these uprisings and people have posted things. And at this point, man, I I say to myself, you know, my rule is, is the time I'm going to spend right now helping to end the obesity and diabetes epidemic? And if the answer is no, I'm not going to spend my time on it because there's enough good That we need to do in the world, you know, tying back to earlier when we were talking about people writing in people seeing their life change, you know, anyone that wants to take up your time, anyone that wants to take up my time, anyone that wants to take up any of your listener or viewers time saying, oh, wait, you're trying to eat more sane, high quality, nutrient dense, energy rich food. I want to criticize you for that. I mean, dude, you know, whatever. You know, some people want to watch the world burn. I guess. Cool. Knock yourself out, you know? There's two studies
1: that that I've come across about that kind of behavior. and it, it was fascinating. One of them said that people who approach you know, reality with a highly skeptical standpoint end up with three times the rate of senile cognitive dementia later in life, just on, on average. So I, I've actually sent that study to, to online trolls. I'm like, good luck with your senile cognitive dementia. Like, the level <laughs> of skepticism here says we can't have a conversation about the science, like because you know <laughs> there's just no conversation to be had here. Um, the other study uh, that's really interesting is one that the Huffington Post wrote about, or, or was posted on Huffington Post anyway, uh, where I first saw it. And it was looking at what happens with, uh, with people who are like, really into the trolling and what's their psychological profile. And the, the headline on this was, it's true, online trolls really are psychopaths and sociopaths. And they looked at the incidence of those pathologies in people who profess to get pleasure from these online arguments. And it was kind of disturbing. So there's this really cool technology, and I, I found I was wasting a lot of energy, so I, I had to eat more um, <laughs> be, because of these <laughs> because of these online things. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm working to help people here, and maybe I'm wrong, right? And I'm willing to talk about the science, and I'm willing to be wrong and to own it and then to correct it if I'm wrong. Like, this is about a body of knowledge that supports, like, the operating system for humans. And so when this happens, I'm burning all this energy, and I can either continue to do it and then, like, eat some dark chocolate while I'm doing it so I can keep my energy balanced so, you know, nothing bad happens. Or I can use a technology called ban. <laughs> and it occurred to me when I'm looking at the energy balance between me and a troll, they write all this crap, which is usually, like, a bunch of personal attacks mixed in with some, you know, calories or all that matters kind of, kind of stuff, right? And it takes them, like... 10 minutes and I'm just going to assign one calorie per minute. So they use 10 calories and it takes me a quarter calorie to click ban. <laughs> and so from a caloric balance, I'm actually losing weight when I ban trolls. Like, like the science is really clear because the calorie balance. You see?
3: Oh man, that is what well, I, I forget who I was talking to, but it was, it was related to this, man. And it's just, you know, you know, look at, Look at people that are really just dialed into life, you know, whether or not it's it's dialed into being just an amazing parent to children or whether it's being the president of the United States or whether or not it's running a nonprofit organization or whether it's writing great poetry. I mean, people who people who are going to have hella eulogy, like when they die, (laughs) they're going to have a lot of stuff that people are going to say about them. There you go. How much time do those people have to write negative nonsense on the Internet?
1: not a lot
3: not a lot man so i just i mean in some ways what uh, when i was having conversations with this person i used to get angry when i saw troll stuff man but i i get i get sad now because it's like damn man i mean i'm sorry to curse but i'm like what is going on in this person's life where they literally have nothing better to do than this.
1: There's an explanation and it's actually in your book. What happened is they cut their calories so far that their (laughs) prefrontal cortex, the part that's supposed to regulate their emotions, was disabled to a certain extent and they can only get energy from causing cortisol spikes from eating foods they're allergic to or MSG or something like that. So they're sitting there flying on cortisol, which makes you angry. They're probably shooting up some steroids so they can make sure they look pretty (laughs) while they do it. So you got roid rage and inhibited prefrontal cortex and then they're sitting there spreading I don't know the right word for it spreading shit on other people because they're too tired and they get a little charge from that which makes them at least wake up a little bit and I I don't want to sound super negative here but I see this as actually what's happening and it is sad it's really sad because when people are well fed when people feel safe when they're well cared for uh, when they have intact communities and friends, they don't act that way offline or online. And the epidemic of it happening online has something to do with nutrition and has something to do with anti-nutrients and has something to do with trauma and other psychological things that aren't food related. But when you mix all that stuff in there, it is sad. And then the question is, are you going to let that kind of behavior work in your community? And my policy is like, look, if you're attacking other people on personal stuff um, you probably aren't a good fit for the whole thing we're doing here at Bulletproof. And if you do it over and over, like, I'm just going to click the band button and it's okay. If you come in and say, I don't agree with this, I don't understand it, I have a question, then like, hey, that's what that's what it's all about. Like, that's fun. Uh, so that level of, you know, do you approach a discourse from the perspective of a starving person or a person with adequate calories to think? It's it's a
3: kind of an entry level for me anyway. I Dave, I've never actually thought about it like that, but it's I mean, just anecdotally, it is really interesting to note the eating habits of people who seem angry.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah there's two big camps of them. I bet you can identify which two camps I'm talking about.
3: Yeah. <laughs> It's like, yeah, all you happy people that seem to have your stuff together, you're wrong. Ignore the results in your life and how you look and feel. You're wrong. Oh, I'm like, wow, man, you're not really making a good case for yourself.
1: I, I think personally, that 30 bananas a day is not as good as 31 bananas a day. I mean, let's face it, because it makes you so calm and it makes you a kind person. It really does.
3: Well, uh, you know, it, it it's like, it I
1: still I like watching your stuff, it makes me laugh.
3: <laughs> oh man. Well, you know, David, I think the I think the neat thing, man, is you know, people people are going to say what they're going to say, but what I love what I what I love is that if you look at well, so I I, I this makes me happy and sad simultaneously. So sometimes I get sad when I see this negativity on the internet, but then I walk down the street and I talk to a normal person and I ask them what they think about fat, and they tell me I think it gets stuck in my arteries because it's solid at room temperature and I think it causes heart disease <clears throat> so not only are they not reading the trolls on the internet but they're actually not i mean it's it's you know so we we get scared that it's like, oh no, this bad information is going to negatively affect people man there is there is so much confusion out there and there is so much good work to be done that we need to focus on on helping people on the things i think we all agree with which is i think maybe i don't know i mean I i really don't spend much time reading what the trolls write but i would imagine that even the trolls would think that you know feeding your child whole foods found in nature is probably preferable than an isocaloric diet of doritos okay like cool man so we actually do kind of agree on something so if our message is furthering that sh- maybe should we focus on that you know like our c- people in our country are dying i'm not like i'm not exaggerating right like the global yeah. economic burden McKinsey just did a study recently where they said the three the three biggest scourges on our planet uh, one is armed conflict which has a global economic burden of i think it's like 2.2 billion or excuse me 2.2 trillion then there was um uh, Tobacco, drugs, things like that, which was 2.2 billion or 2.1 billion. And the next one was obesity, and it was at like 2 billion. So it's like, man, you know, it's great that you have a six pack and it's great that you did this to get that six pack, but right now people aren't dying from a lack of a six pack. They're dying from a lack of a basic understanding of that which is essential to their body. And I think we can all agree that calories are essential and that there are a bunch of other nutrients that are essential. And we can also establish pretty clearly which foods are richest in those essential things. And then shouldn't we just eat those? What's the deal?
1: It's not rocket science there. But the six-pack conversation is so polarizing. I I posted something last week on the Bulletproof Facebook page, and it was uh, an article that said basically uh, why I don't want a six-pack. And it was from a woman She had a picture of her, her abs which looked perfectly healthy, like a fertile woman's abs look like, um, in that they weren't completely chiseled, but they were shapely, and they had a layer of subcutaneous fat, which is high in DHA, which feeds the baby, which is why fertile women have hips and butts, they're storing up DHA. And I, this was the topic of my first book, The Better Baby book, of like what do you eat before and during pregnancy to have kick-ass kids? and. To, to see her write that was really cool. The, um, almost 500,000 people saw this, this thing that I reposted, and there's a couple hundred comments there, and a whole bunch of them were, like, super angry. Like, how dare you pick on six-packs? And her thing was, I used to have a six-pack, but I didn't feel good, and I was cold all the time, and now I got rid of my six-pack, and my health is back, and I'm menstruating and all that. And all those things are completely glossed over by the calorie discussion. Um, but they're part and parcel to, like, being a human, it is, you know, having the hormones in your body do what they're supposed to do for the age and sex that you are. And just stuff like that is, uh, is missing from a lot of the online discourse. And when you include how do I feel today in the equation, you have to go towards something more like sane, uh, something more like uh, bulletproof, uh, something more even just like paleo or what, whatever else versus I'm going to eat what tastes good. Because I, I think we've shown that that doesn't work.
3: And another thing that's missing from the six-pack conversation, and you know, I'm going to tip my hat to the folks with a six-pack. I, I mean I have, mm-hmm. I, I have a six-pack. <laughs> so, so uh, but that's because it's a skill. Yeah. It's a hobby of mine, right? <laughs> there are some people that are really good at basketball, and what you do to become really good at basketball is not like I'm not going to criticize people who don't want to be good at basketball for not shooting 100 free throws every day. And it's probably true that if you want to become a great free throw shooter, that you need to shoot 100 free throws per day. But to say that people who don't shoot 100 free throws per day are wrong or bad would be obviously false, right? So having a six pack for the vast majority of the population is a skill and it is a skill or a like that you would need to conscientiously put your mind to and say, this is a priority in my life. It's not natural. You, most people don't just have a six pack, right? Um, And if that's a goal of yours, there are certain things you're going to need to do to make that happen. And that's fine. But let's not conflate having a six pack with, for example, changing your cholesterol profile. I mean, they're they're (laughs) totally they're completely different things. And we conflate these things together as one thing. This is the way you should eat. False. That's that's not even a complete sentence. The complete sentence is this is how you should eat to blank. Right. So, this is how you should eat is actually an inane sentence in and of itself. It's not a complete thought. It's this is how you should eat for X. How you eat to get six pack abs, I would argue, does involve calorie counting for most people. Yeah. But I would argue that most people don't have the goal of having six-pack abs, so why are we even talking about this? You know, I mean, not you and I, but the internet.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's well said. And if you want to cut calories, it takes willpower. And willpower is a finite resource. So you can spend it on your abs. You can spend it on changing the world or getting a better job or being a better parent. Um, and maybe you're one of those people who can pull off all of that stuff at once because you're just steeped in willpower and your mitochondria are rocking it full. So I mean, man, hats off to you. I, I don't have to do it. Um, I, I have a six pack right now. I have a ton of stretch marks on top of it from when I weighed 300 pounds, <laughs> but I don't work on having a six pack. It just kind of happens. And if I eat something that I it, it inadvertently caused inflammation, funny, the six pack goes away and then it comes back three days later uh, because it's not fat, it's inflammation. And a lot of people who don't have six pack are just inflamed, they're not even fat. So, so, we're Jonathan coming up. I just realized towards the end of the show, and it's always easy to, to talk with you for a long time because you get it now. There's that question that I've asked every guest on Bulletproof Radio except for that episode 66 and where mm-hmm. I think it like almost 210 episodes now. And you've answered it in episode 81, but I want to see if your answers are different because I don't think you remember what they were. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm hoping they're different. The question is, if you had three recommendations from everything you've learned in your life, recommendations for someone who wants to kick more ass, you want to perform better at whatever it is you're doing, do these three things. What are they?
3: Eat more green vegetables sleep more and maybe like lighten up slash love more man i mean i i used to get so amped up about stuff i mean i just used to get like angry and and then i took a step back and i, I started talking actually with moms more so i, don't, I actually don't have children like this is me and my wife um, and i come from a very small family and i live far away from them but like the more time I spent around other people's families, like my wife's family, and I started getting more involved in, in helping moms learn how to feed their children, dude, there's a great big world out there with like a lot of people that need a lot of help. And when you get a little bit of perspective, um, either through your own children, through your own family, or through other people's, dude, there's, there's not enough time to be angry. There's not enough time to be stressed. So eat vegetables, sleep more, and, and love harder. That's what I would say.
1: So basically, you've got eat, sleep, sex. Hey, you're so primal. <laughs> Just kidding. How <laughs> to twist your words into something you didn't say? I love it. <laughs> now on sleeping more,
3: I have some people who sleep 11 hours a day. Are you saying they should sleep 12? <laughs> I would say from a from a baseline, if you look at the <laughs> the average American would be would be better served by eating more vegetables, sleeping more, and loving more. I fully agree with that statement,
1: um, and that, that's cool. So thank you for being on Bulletproof Radio, Jonathan Baylor. Can you give me your URL and where people should find you? Because I'm pretty sure people listening are gonna to want to check out the sane way of thinking about their food.
3: The our new our new site and our new business. I mean it's it's really exciting. We we got funded and we're we're essentially a, a startup now officially. So it's it's pretty it's pretty neat. Congratulations.
1: I didn't know you got funded. Well
3: done. Yeah. Thank you so much. So, yeah, we are in the pro- in the process. It's a big undertaking of essentially building let's call it for lack of better terms. I hate comparing myself to existing stuff, but it's it's an easy way to explain it. Weight Watchers 2.0. So, Weight Watchers says, "Look, we're just going to provide a bunch of tools and systems that people or corporations can use to help them eat less." We're providing a bunch of tools and systems and apps and educational resources to help people eat sane or higher quality food. So instead of calorie counting apps, we have food quality apps. Instead of calorie counting meal plans, we have. So it's the counterpoint. It's like, look, if you want to eat 1200 calories of whatever, you should use Weight Watchers. Whether or not that's a healthy choice, we can talk about later. If you want to increase the sanity of the quality of what you're eating, we've got an alternative for you at Sane Solution. And we'll provide a comprehensive suite of tools for you. Well, I'm pretty
1: sure that uh, when the Bulletproof Coffee Shop opens, hopefully within about two weeks of when I'm recording this, maybe three weeks, um, that we'll, uh, we'll have a whole bunch of menu offerings other than Bulletproof Coffee, obviously. We have a full menu with grass-fed meat and all that. Um, but it, it's the whole point is when you walk out of there, you should feel full and no cravings and like buzzing with energy. Shocking that food can do these things. But uh, I think
3: that that'll pass the, uh,
1: the sane meter.
3: <laughs> absolutely people will go in there with their sane app they'll snap a photo of what they're eating they'll get their sane score they'll share it with their friends and they'll feel great
1: that is awesome and uh, i wish you the best of luck with the new company it's so so cool and i'd forgotten you're in seattle because i'm a, a float plane right away and the new bulletproof biohacking labs are going to be done real soon now and uh when that's up and running there's going to be some pretty incredible tech that uh, i'll have you over for an afternoon and uh, eat some butter and grass-fed meat and things and uh um, dip you in ice tanks, uh, things like that.
3: That sounds fabulous, Dave. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Awesome. Jonathan, thanks for being on Bulletproof Radio. Thanks, Dave. If you enjoyed today's show, you can get a lot more of them by downloading them from iTunes. And I'd love it if you said thanks by heading over to Bulletproof.com and picking up a Bulletproof product because that is what funds this show. I've done two of these a week for just about two years straight. It's an enormous amount of work to do it, to put it together, to edit this for you guys. Uh, I do it. I don't charge for this. I don't have a bunch of sponsorships. I don't talk for a half hour about the latest cell phone plan, none of that stuff. And that's because you come and you get your coffee from a lab-tested source. Because you know Brain Octane oil works for you. So keep
0: doing it. Thank you so much and have an awesome day. A human upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey.